My name is Rudy Kelly, and I am an herb original. I am chief. My dad was a great chief of the Simshan Nation, beloved by his people. But at home, with his family, he brought anger and pain. He told me that to succeed, I would have to leave everything behind. Now I'm on a journey to find out who and what my dad really was. The Herb Original is an all-new CBC podcast. Available now. This is a CBC podcast. Hi, I'm Jamie Poisson. You may have seen this week a statement by Pierre Polyev. It caught a lot of headlines because, well, it was about porn. Specifically, the conservative leader was throwing his support behind a controversial bill that would require people looking at porn websites to have their age verified. Under 18, not allowed in. And if the website doesn't stop you, they could face hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. Critics say this could be a privacy and civil liberties nightmare. And Canadian pornography titan Pornhub says that if the bill passes, blocking Canadian access would be an option, which is something that's done in a handful of U.S. states. My guest today is Sam Cole, a journalist with 404 Media, and she's going to walk us through this proposed law and some of the broader issues that it raises. Sam is also the host of our upcoming spinoff podcast, All About Pornhub. The series launches on March 11th, but right now you can search the Pornhub Empire, Understood, and follow the feed so you don't miss the first episode drop. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for coming on to Frontburner. Hi, thank you for having me. So so this bill that we're talking about, it, it's currently being studied by a committee in the House of Commons here in Ottawa. Uh, it's being championed and sponsored by independent Senator Julie Meville Deschen. And I know that you spoke to her for this podcast that you have coming up. And what did she say about why she thinks this bill is necessary? Yeah, so uh, the senator is... Obviously, like many people are very concerned about child safety on the Internet. And this is a topic that's been very controversial. It seems like it should be very straightforward. We want kids to be safe online. But it's been something that's been a long fight since really the beginning of the Internet. But it's really started um, picking up intensity in the last few years, especially in the last year. Here in the States also, we have quite a few very similar bills being passed. The premise, and as she outlines in the bill is that kids are being harmed by these uh, service providers who have explicit material on their sites and they're letting anyone view it, including kids. We have a whole generation of children who have been raised on those websites and think that uh, sexual relationships are what they see on porn, which is not the case. We're talking about performance. We're talking about stuff that's not real, that's not uh, sexual education. She makes a bunch of claims in the bill about things like pornography addiction, which the jury is very much out about currently in the science, um, things like gender and development of you know attitudes about harassment and violence. All the uh, indication we have from uh, science, from scientific research, is that um, there are links between watching porn for kids 
and having uh, increased stereotypes about sex, you know, normalization of some of what they see. Um, these are all very, you know, controversial positions to take to begin with. These aren't facts that we've established. And going from there, putting down these these rules and these fines about who can and can't access porn sites, but not really getting specific about how that would look in practice. So yeah, how we're going to verify and how the porn sites are going to be fine. Yeah, exactly. Just before we go, go on to what uh, is happening in other jurisdictions, I just uh, elaborate on what you mean by the jury's still out for me, when when you say porn addiction and when you say when you're talking about violence and, and pornography. Yeah, I mean, these are um, these are, again, very much topics that people have been interested in since, you know, the beginning of online pornography. It used to be you could just like pull out a, a magazine from under your mattress and no one was particularly getting riled up about addiction to that. But now um, we have it at our fingertips at all times. So um, it's obviously a concern. But uh, as far as people who study and uh, research these things, at least in terms of whether or not it's harmful or whether these are healthy behaviors, it's really it's not an issue that's settled. So whether or not pornography addiction is true addiction, for example, um, is it you know addiction in the same sense as that like alcohol would be an addiction? So you know there's there's a lot of um, rhetoric going around about this, a lot of concerns from healthcare providers about messaging that young people especially are getting online about whether or not their own behaviors are healthy. So it's it's tough. It's, you know, it's something that people do struggle with, but um, I think it's being used as especially, you know, kind of this buzzword to get some some bills passed that would actually increase censorship online. And what about the idea that kids are being exposed to like very violent images? Yeah, it's it's really is like an, a noble cause to not want kids to be exposed to things too early that they shouldn't be. But whether or not it's the realm of uh, these technology companies and these internet service providers, or whether it's the realm of parents and educators to teach kids about what is and isn't real and what is and isn't okay to do in real life um, is kind of the, the debate that's happening. What is happening in other jurisdictions? So, so this law that uh, is being considered here in Canada, you know, we're obviously not the first, and there are others that have actually gone before us, and they've implemented some kind of law. And so, what what have we seen elsewhere? How are they dealing with this attempt to, you know, stop young people from looking at porn online? So, this is it's something that's happening across the United States. Uh, the states that have past these similar kind of age verification laws include uh, Virginia, Arkansas, Mississippi, North Carolina, Utah, Texas, Montana, and Louisiana. It's like it's spreading pretty fast. That's a lot of states. New law is aiming at protecting our children in Louisiana, and it requires age verification on adult websites. One of the most popular adult websites, Pornhub, has blocked Virginia users over the state's new age verification law. Pornhub and several adult entertainment workers are suing the state of Texas to block its impending age verification law. They're all very similar. They all are very similar to the bill that we're talking about today in Canada, where, you know, they, they propose that these sites have a responsibility to not let young people in, that there will be these massive fines, but they don't really give 
concrete guidance on how to make that happen, how to enact it, uh, how it will be uh, enforced, things like that. So that's that's kind of the state of things here. Has anybody put forward anything concrete at this point? Like if you sign in or if you try to go to Pornhub, you, you know, you get this prompt and you have to put in a government ID and I don't know, scan your face. Like is anything like that in practice right now? It's in practice somewhat um, in some of these states. It's not it's still not something that is being included in the law. So, you know, sites are really on their own as far as how they're going to abide by the law. Um, in Louisiana, at least, you know, I, I tested one of the identity verification processes from Pornhub, which, I, you know, they were using L.A. Wallet, which is like an, a Louisiana based like a digital driver's license. So. You know, to do the steps for that is pretty straightforward. You're just uploading your driver's license. Um, you know, Pornhub says it doesn't collect the data. In other cases, there's third-party apps that involve, if you're a new user, a lot of steps. So um, I tried one with XHamster, which is another really big porn site. So you had to, like, I won't go through all the steps because there were literally, like, 50 of them. But <laughs> and, um, mm. it involved, like, scanning a QR code from the site, like, looking at your computer and like getting your face scanned, entering in, you know, a five digit pin and then verifying that pin and then scanning a selfie wow. um, of uploading your ID, waiting for review. Sometimes it doesn't work. For some reason, it didn't work on my face a bunch. Like <laughs> um, it just like it was like, you know, there was a high demand. So it said it would take longer. Ha. And then once you get through that process, then it's like, thanks for doing that process. We don't store any of that. But like, what are your kinks? And what kind of porn do you want to see? You know, it was like, then you were met with a survey about like these very personal details, which was really, I don't know, I find it very um, invasive. Does it feel maybe a bit violating? Um, Yeah. Yeah, in some ways. Okay, so some people are going to listen to what you just said. And I think they're going to get like, you know, big time George Orwell, 1984 vibes, <laughs> which I, I I feel like is a good segue for us to talk about the criticisms of this, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the people who are saying that this is a real civil liberties nightmare, wh- what are they saying? What is the argument that they're making? Yeah, so the, the biggest argument uh, and probably the most obvious one is that these sites are asking for your ID and to scan your face in a lot of cases in order to access porn, to, to, you know, access something that's like part of your sex life. So it's very invasive. It's very, I think, in my opinion, overstepping what what needs to happen in order to, you know, we're, we're trying to block kids from seeing these sites, but in the process, we're blocking adults from, you know, easily accessing pretty standard legal entertainment. So that's the big one is the privacy concerns, concerns about like leaking data, uh, the handling of data, things like that. And then another really big concern, I think probably the most the more serious one um, is that because the enforcement is so up in the air and unclear as to how this is actually going to happen. You have Pornhub and like sites like this, like Xamster, like they're trying to like work with law. If you're faced with this you know, really convoluted long process, you're just going to say, you know what, never mind, I'm going to go to another site, I'm going to go to a different site that isn't doing the same kind of moderation and regulation. Um, Or you're going to use a VPN and just say, you know, I'm going to use a virtual private network. 
spoof my IP, make it look like I'm coming from a different place. If you're in Canada, you can say, oh, I'm coming from you know, New York in the United States and then just get around it that way, mm-hmm. which is very easy. Kids could do that. No so. law there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- this was this was my big thing when when I was looking at this, like, like can't you just can't you just get around this? Like uh, how everybody, you know, one of our producers was saying that he's he's getting around the, the meta news ban here in Canada just by changing the location uh, on his on his iPhone. Right. It's so easy. I know that you put that to the senator and and uh, what it like, how does she even respond to that? I mean, in general, when see, the people writing these bills are posed with more technological or, you know, social issues when it comes to like the problems with their bills, the response is usually well, like, well, the the sites should figure it out. Like it's up to them to abide by this, but it's really not under the site's control whether or not a kid can download a VPN and get around it that way. One of the big arguments was for me, oh, your law will never work because teenagers will use VPNs to hide in which country they are and they will access porn. Well, yes, obviously, but younger kids under 11 don't exactly know it exists. And we will protect enough children with age verification that it will be useful. So I asked her specifically, you know, have you considered talking to sex workers, talking to people in the adult industry, because they are very motivated to not have kids on their sites if they're doing their jobs correctly. They don't want, you know, kids viewing the content that they're making. And, you know, the response was basically like, well, that's, you know, that's not really something that we're going to do. You know, they have a right to speak out. They have a right to be afraid that they could lose customers. But I don't think this is an argument for not protecting millions of children. This is not our society. Uh, the government have intervened for decades to stop children from buying alcohol and to stop them from going in sex shops and, and watching porn movies. So why would it be different on the internet? It's it's difficult. It's like these are the, the stakeholders of the of the issue at hand. These are the people that are going to be affected with their livelihoods if they can't uh, sell their content online or have it viewed by people easily and they're being left out of the conversation entirely. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen Pornhub, for, you know, as we're talking about this, this one huge site comment on this, and they, they, they are saying they don't want responsibility. Uh, they won't, don't want the responsibility of, of having to verify uh, people, but they do seem to be punting it elsewhere, right? Like, and so explain to me what what they're almost suggesting. It seems like a sort of a device level thing, which I don't totally understand. Yeah. So most, I would say, I mean, I'm not super familiar with like the parental controls on iPhones and stuff like that, but like most new phones uh, have, and you know, computers in general, you can download this software, but um, they have parental controls where you can put in. A category of site, specific site, and say, I don't want my kids accessing this, and then they can't from the phone. And that solves the problem of getting around it with an, with a VPN. Um, it kind of puts the responsibility on parents to pay attention to what their kids are doing online, uh, which is a, like a, it's, it is kind of, it's pushing their responsibility off on parents. But at the same time, especially here in the States, it's like there's this big 
debate going on about education, sex education in schools. And it's like how much can teachers talk about uh, in schools and, um, you know, where Mm -hmm. is the education happening? Similar debates going on here. Yeah. It's like there's never been really good. Yeah. And what should the education be? Yeah. There's never been good sex education, especially in the States. I never had good, you know, sex education, certainly. Most of my friends didn't. So it's not happening in schools. And then the parents are like, well, we're not going to do it. Someone else should do it. And it's like, well, someone's got to do it. Um, you know, the the sites selling the content are like, well, the parents should be doing it. So it's just this kind of passing around a responsibility and um, you know, where it's going to land. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. Just just to note, or to, you know, put a put a fine line on this, you know, with all of these issues of privacy concerns, the potential workarounds, the fact that, you know, as as you talked about, there there are consenting adults and, and issues around accessing porn and also people who are making the porn and, and how they might be, you know, losing livelihoods here. The proponents of this law, they will ultimately argue here that the harms of this pornography on children, you know, is, is outweighing all of these other other issues. Uh, and I know I, I know that you put that to the senator. It's in a way it's like that, again, is like a very um, common sense thing to say. And like, that's very much the belief of a lot of people who are supportive of these bills. But I think what people don't really realize is I think the the result of these bills getting passed is always going to be more censorship in general. So it's not just like, oh, poor you, you can't access Pornhub. It's like, eventually, you're not going to be able to access Twitter. Well, this is this is a question I had for you because there is porn on Twitter, right? Yeah. And Reddit. Oh, there's so much. So would this apply to all these? There's there's porn everywhere <laughs> on the internet. Is exactly. Like, you know, you remember, um, I think it was like Avenue Q, yeah, yeah, that yeah. song from Avenue Q, the Broadway show, like the internet is for porn. So so this is, yes, it's not just a site. Uh, you know, we were talking about Pornhub a lot. This is obviously affecting a lot of other places on the internet that aren't Pornhub. Yeah, exactly. But but again, Pornhub is such a big player. And, and I do f- find that there's a fascinating story that involves them. Uh, and I know that they faced this huge crisis back in 2020, one that they actually haven't even gotten through yet. But that crisis wasn't about uh, who's allowed to look at the site, right? It involved who was allowed to upload material on the site. And and just refresh our memories about what happened there. I know this is part of the story that you're telling um, in this upcoming podcast. Yeah, so there was this big, uh, it was kind of positioned as like an expose, but it was an opinion piece in the New York Times uh, put out by Nicholas Kristof, who's a journalist primarily writes for the opinion section. And he had talked to a few people who claimed that they had child um, sexual abuse material uploaded of themselves on Pornhub. And it was really difficult to get it taken down. And, you know, it caused a ton of harm. Obviously, this is like a horrible thing to have happen uh, to kids, especially. And to anyone, really, it's like it's 
non-consensual porn on the internet and on Pornhub also has been a huge problem in the past where people can't get their own content taken off the site quickly or in some cases at all. So so that piece came out. This followed like years of um, criticism from people in the industry and people who are using Pornhub as performers also saying, you know, we need this site to be more uh, responsive to these kinds of claims. Like they were, you know, recognized from within as being not responsive enough to people who said, hey, this this content's on here. I need it taken down. So that piece came out. And of course, it generated so much attention because it's the New York Times and they laid out this really horrific story that happened to these women. And immediately or almost immediately, MasterCard and Visa pulled their services from the site and said, you know, we're not, this is too much of a risk. We're not going to deal with Pornhub anymore. Billionaire investor Bill Ackman called on MasterCard and Visa to temporarily withhold payments to Pornhub following the New York Times column. Visa did not immediately Which, respond. of course, lots of people doing, you know, legal consensual work on Pornhub were immediately affected. They were like, we can't pay rent this month because we can't, you know, cash out through these very huge mainstream credit card processors. So... So that happened. Um, Pornhub went on like a really long and thorough crisis prevention, uh, crisis management journey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, saga where they their yeah. name changed. <laughs> it's hard to even like get into words like how big everything, uh, how big the changes were that happened. Their name, their name of their parent company changed from MindGeek to ALO. They were bought by a uh, private equity co- firm called Ethical Capital Partners. They went through this big revamp of like, we're going to be ethical now. They scrubbed unverified uploads off the site, which was like millions of videos. They changed their entire uploading process where you couldn't upload unless you had all this paperwork and ID and everything like that. And it's still happening. Like they're still making changes years later where they're requiring things like consent forms from everyone in the video and stuff like that. So it was huge. I would say at this point, it's like porn I went from like this kind of reputation for being like you can upload whatever whenever and you know there were it was kind of wild west vibes to like this site is probably like the safest porn site on the internet uh in a matter of like a year or two so huge 180 for the company and revamped their entire their entire process so yeah and then now you have them taking a stand against these age verification laws by just saying we're not gonna play ball at all i think they threatened to pull out of Canada entirely, which is Mm -hmm. a really wild thing to say. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, is it so so I I guess, um, what do you think that this could potentially mean for a company that has already been through so much turmoil that they're now seeing this push Mm -hmm. from the other side from the like, you know, they dealt with this all these issues on the supply side. Uh, and now they're dealing with all these issues on the demand side, on the consumer side. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because it's like they did all of this, these changes, and they made everything much safer. And MasterCard and Visa are still not back on Pornhub. So they changed a bunch of stuff. They did what, you know, seemingly was, you know, being asked of them. And then it still didn't bring back these payment processors. And now you have... These bills that are basically going after all porn in general and saying, you know, we're going to make it really hard to access porn 
And now they're having to deal with this. So it does feel a little bit endless. <laughs> and I think on Pornhub's end, um, you know, they they built the company up as this this like synonymous with porn type brand. It's like that was if you're going to think about finding porn on the Internet, that's kind of what you would think of as going to Pornhub, uh, at least in like the mainstream. So they got really big and got really popular and now they're kind of paying for that visibility by being like the the representatives of the porn industry in a way. I'm sure they would they would not see themselves or say that they they felt that way, but it's definitely kind of the the public perception is like, oh, what Pornhub does is kind of representative of how the whole, whole industry is going because they're so big. That's so interesting. And and Sam, I cannot wait to listen to the whole podcast. Uh I hear it's fantastic. And uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on uh, to the podcast and and talking about this. Uh, It was great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, that is all for this week. And just one last reminder, if you want to hear that podcast, the trailer is live right now. Search the Pornhub Empire and hit follow. While you're there, you can also listen to the series we made about Sam Bankman-Fried and his doomed crypto company, FTX. Frontburner was produced this week by Matt Muse, Ali Jane, Sarah Jackson, and Derek Vanderweg. Sound design was by Mackenzie Cameron and Sam McNulty. Music is by Joseph Shabison. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. Our executive producer is Nick McCabe-Locos. And I'm Jamie Poisson. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.